Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ruth, if you will. We'll be in the book of Ruth and the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and Ruth will kind of walk through the whole book today as we're looking back at the reflections of Christ in history and the revelations they bring about as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, Christmas is a time where we talk about um, Jesus as a baby. And I, I don't know about you, but a baby coming into your life is life-changing. If you are a parent this morning, um, you, you kind of remember that feeling. Do you remember that feeling that you had when your second child was born, if you have more than one today? I want to let you know, our, our story, and, and Christy's the, the confident parent in our family, and I'm just along for the ride most of the time, and uh, I remember uh, when Ashley was born, my firstborn, that I thought, I didn't know love could be this big. It was different than the romantic love I had for my wife. It was unique, and I just thought, this is an incredible feeling. And actually, when we were pregnant with our, with our second uh, child, with Connor, um, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. We were excited to have our second child. He wasn't in the world yet. But going on inside of me was something amazing. And, and it was a fear and anxiety, not about my ability to be a parent with Christy of two kids, but, but where would the love come from for this child to match the first? That, that was a real fear in my body. I, I didn't know what that was going to look like or what it was going to be. And quite honestly, until the day of Connor's birth, I, I was uncertain of how God would divide up this new love that he had created in me. And when Connor came into this world and I held him for the first time, my life was changed forever because I realized that the Lord wasn't gonna take from this well and make me share it and divide it between the children in my life, but that God would once again create something new to draw from. And in, in, in this moment, all of my fears, all of my anxieties, all of my uncertainties, they, they just went by the wayside. Have you ever had a moment that changed your life? Like your, your whole story pivoted in a moment. We know when, when Mary was told that she was uh, to have the Messiah as her child, that that was a moment that would change her life. We know that all of history was waiting for the Messiah, the Christ to be born. In, in this moment, we see something phenomenal. Look in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 1. If you've got your finger there, we'll be there. We'll go back to Ruth. I won't leave you hanging. But Matthew chapter 1 talks to us pretty amazingly about the birth of Christ. And, and in verse 18, we really hit this pinnacle, almost like the foot's on the gas to the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. It, this, it's, it's almost the big letters in the begin of every great book that you read, you know, the ones with the fancy uh, penmanship and whatnot. At the beginning of this story, it's now, the birth of Christ, after everything that's come before it, out of all the lies, out of all the story, out of all the history, it took place like this. And what's interesting is that verse 18 is, is kind of tucked into just the right spot, the beginning of this new story, the story of Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel in the flesh. And where it comes is at the end of the genealogy of Christ. You see, before it talks about the birth of Christ happening, 
the Lord shows us the string that he draws through history, pointing everything, every story, every person to Jesus Christ. If you look in your Bible, you can look back uh, to, to verse to verse one and it says listen the son of david the son of abraham and he says i want you to know we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago with abraham this god-given promise was was before him god said i will redeem a people i will give you a promise and through this he starts listing off descendants but in verse five we have this very strange quagmire seemingly tucked in verse five salmon the son of boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Now, if you just quick read through the story, God's just going through names again. You know, we're just doing a hot read through it. But in verse 5, it, we, we go through all this regular lineage of going on. But in verse 5, we see something happen. When, when Salmon comes in, it introduces his wife as well as, as Rahab. And, and what Scripture would point to is this is Rahab who was in the walls of Jericho, who was among a people who did not follow God, someone that was outside of the promise and that was brought in because of her faithfulness and her belief and her trust in God. And so Rahab is the mother of Boaz, who fathered Obed by Ruth. Now I have to admit, my wife used to talk about baby Obed all the time. And, and quite honestly, I don't think I must have paid attention in Sunday school as a child, I'm not sure. But until I was married to Christy, I didn't realize who Obed really was. And it's not just who he was, but it's the story of his father and his mother, the story of a redeemer. And that's what we're gonna look at today because what Boaz was in part in that reflection, Jesus Christ was and is completely today. So if you have a Bible, turn back to the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 2, we're introduced to Boaz. And what we're going to find out is the story of Ruth starts off like this. Naomi, someone from the Jewish people, she and her two boys, they go to another land and both of their boys marry outside of their culture, outside of the Jewish promised um, faith, the people. And, and while they're in a foreign land because of a famine, both boys die. And, and they both passed away, and Naomi says, I have nothing, I have no husband, I have no children, I am a widow. In fact, she says, my name should not mean blessed. Quite honestly, it should mean bitter. And so she says, I'm just going to go home and try and live off the kindness of others. And in that, her daughters-in-law, they protest and say, we'll come. One turns away, but one daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, listen, where you go, I'm going to go. And your people, they're going to be my people. And your God, they're going to be my God. I am not leaving you. Because I'm a part of your family. And so Ruth gives herself with Naomi to a life of nothing. A famine, owning nothing, having nothing. But by the end of the story of Ruth, four chapters in scripture that record just a brief, a brief blip, 
we find that God has not only restored what was lost, but he has redeemed and made something new. What I love about this Christmas story is everything is tied up, everything is settled, but it points to a bigger story and a better redeemer. So let me introduce you to Boaz just a little bit. If you have your Bible, look in Ruth chapter two, look in verse one to start off with. We'll kind of bounce around here just a little bit, but verse one is what we'll start off with as we kind of look in his story. Naomi a relative, uh, had a relative of her husband, uh, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, I want you to start there first of all. Boaz, the Bible says, was worthy. In fact, his name probably meant in him there is might. So here is a mighty man, or known that way, who is living a life that is worthy. That doesn't mean perfect. It just meant that he tried to be a good person and honor the Lord and help make sure the Lord's reputation was always more important than his. And it says that he was from the clan of Elimelech. So I want you to know why this is important. Elimelech, that clan, was part of the tribe of Judah. All right? Part of the tribe of Judah. Now go a little bit further with me uh, into verse 4. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So, so we know that Boaz lived from the clan and the tribe of Judah from Bethlehem. Now go a little bit further into verse 20. And Naomi's talking about Boaz, and she says to her daughter-in-law, may he bless, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said, this man is a close relative, and he is one of our redeemers. If I were starting off a Christmas service saying today, we're going to be talking about a redeemer from the tribe of Judah and the land of Bethlehem. What name would come to your mind first? Jesus, that would be the one that would come to mind. If I was taking a quiz, that would be the name that came first. And there's a reason for that. God is not showing that there have been many Jesuses throughout history. What he's showing in the genealogy of Matthew, in the story of Boaz, is that God has been faithful to his promise to Abraham that we talked about last week. And he keeps it going all the way through. You would see the links of God's promise, the faithfulness of God's promise linked to the the people, the tribe, the place, the who, what's, when, where, and how. All of the scripture, all of the Old Testament points to a God who is faithful to his promise. And therefore, what he offers in Christ, that promise is just as sure as every promise he's ever made and every one he's ever kept. Boaz's life was a spark that pointed to this flame in Jesus Christ. When we start thinking of Boaz as a redeemer, the word is ga'al in scripture. It's, it's used seven times in the book of Ruth. Now, now let me talk to you about what redeemer means. And I promise we're getting to the good stuff as we go. But, but the word redeemer is the role someone takes on to claim something that has been lost and the person who lost it is unable to claim it back. 
they, they aren't able to, to, to get back through it. And it was only the role of the Lord. The Lord is talked about as redeemer over and over all the way through Leviticus. But in Leviticus, we see it repeated in Deuteronomy. God says, listen, I will give the role, the opportunity of redeemer to men. I, I, I want to make that available. And so here's what it's going to look like. And God made all these plans and he laid everything out. And, and, and the high and the low of it is this. God said, if you have the right standing in the right place, in the right family, you are allowed to redeem something or someone that has been lost, but it will come at great cost to you. Because when you redeem someone, your name is not perpetuated. It doesn't come into your, you know, bounty of treasures and life and inheritance. What you redeem is to perpetuate the name of those who have been lost. And so if you were to buy this land or redeem a family who was a widowed you were saying, I will give you, I will give something what I have. And I will cultivate this and I will care for these people. And my name will get no elevation. I will do it so that they can have life and a future at my great expense. So in Leviticus, God says, listen, I, I do this. This is part of who I am. The Messiah will do this, but I'll make this uh, available to you. Do you know this role of redeemer in scripture? If you were to look from Genesis all the way through Malachi at who picked up this mantle of being a redeemer, you will find one name, Boaz. Out of all of it, that's the only name that you'll find of someone who willingly picked up this mantle and said, at great cost to me, with no benefit to myself, but to honor the Lord and to care for people, I will redeem you. Church, what Boaz does for one person, Ruth, for one family, Naomi's, for one season of life, Scripture says Jesus Christ does and offers for everyone. Don't you love being able to see something? Don't you love the reality that we can look deep in and we can see that Christ is more than we ever imagined, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't start imagining, right? All right, so how is Boaz a redeemer? Look with me in verse chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. Now Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into a field and glean among the ears of grain for him in whom, excuse me, in whom uh, sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. And she set out and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Moaz, who was Boaz, who was of the land of Elimelech. Now, I want you to know the picture of this is, is not pretty. It's messy. 
Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's an, an older mother. Ruth is a, is a grown adult child. Naomi doesn't probably have the ability or the strength to work in the fields all day long. And so the picture of this is of Ruth and Naomi going home and they are slaves to their circumstances. They have no ability to get out. They have no way to make their way home or no way to be whole. They were going to be beggars for the rest of their life who lived on the kindness of others who lived righteous lives. They were living on the kindness of others who were living righteous lives. And church, this is what a redeemer does. A redeemer cares for the destitute and in Christ allows those people to be blessed. You see, the interesting thing about this is that the law provided grace. If you were to look back in the Old Testament, the law that everyone hates and, and is really hard on everyone, it made provision for the poor. And so quite honestly, when you were going through your fields of grain, we didn't have tractors that cleaned everything up. People were going through, they would be cutting the grains, the wheat and whatever. And what was left on the edges, you, you weren't supposed to, to farm all the way to your edges. You were actually supposed to leave that for the poor. That, that was what you were supposed to do. And so you would see all the workers of a family go out and they would do all of this and you would see them kind of do a, a semi-messy job. And at the end, all the people from the town, would, they would come and they would pick up this leftovers. And, and what we see here is Ruth going through saying, I just want to live on the leftovers of someone who cares. Now, what's interesting is a few years ago, we were in Israel and uh, when we were going on our, our bus ride uh, down to Galilee, uh, all of these farms and orchards were out there and I brought this story up to our driver and I said, listen, from what I heard was for those who are hungry and in need, you can take some fruit from the sides and the edges as long as you don't turn it into a profit. And he said, I highly do not recommend that. <laughs> People do not react kindly to that. See, see, everyone didn't follow the laws of grace that God had set up. Everyone wasn't kind because their rightness with God was on the back burner and their right standing in their ideas was on the front burner. And so Ruth and Naomi, all they were gonna do was live off the grace and the hope of people who were kind enough to allow them to eat the scraps from their table. But listen what God gave them in Boaz. Look in your Bible, chapter two, verse eight and nine and 14 and 15. Verse eight says this, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but you keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are weeping and go after them. Have I not charged my young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, you go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn out. Now look down to verse 15. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, do not glean even among the sheaves and do not, excuse me, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also put some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and don't rebuke her. 
See, what the law of grace said was, leave leftovers for the poor and don't get on to them. But what God gave Ruth and Boaz was so much more than that. Not only did he say you can glean, but he said you can glean close to my women. In fact, he told the men, if she gets among my women, don't say anything to her. Allow her the grace of feeling like she has a place. Allow her the love and the respect to know that she is under my watch. Don't you touch her. Don't harass her. Don't come near to her because I am guarding over her. In fact, to the men that he would say, don't harass her, he would look to Ruth and say, when you get thirsty, you can go drink to the water that they drew. You don't have to find your own. You don't have to bring your own. I'll take care of you. You see, church, in Boaz, God provided someone who was in love with him in rightness. Not only did he keep the law, but he blessed Ruth with so much more. Can you, can you remember lavishness? Christy and I talk about it a lot. We'll be doing our open house next week and we'll talk about that later. But I remember going to my grandmother's house and all of these home-baked chocolates and cookies on her dining room table. And as a child, I thought, this is love. This is love. You can go get as much as you want, how often as you want. The one rule, don't complain about a tummy ache. I mean, it was just lavish. Whenever we would go to my granny and granddaddy's house, whenever we came in, drove into town, we were always the focus of their attention. They'd always made a way for us. Granddaddy, would he would always take us to the same shop, Shambo's. And when we went to Shambo's, he always made sure we went through the line that had the candy on one side and the cheap toys on the other side. He always, he always just, he lavished his love upon us. He always let us sit in our chair with him. He always stayed late with us as long as he could. He, he just poured himself out for us, not like he did other people. Because he had, he had brought us in. We were his. Church, what Ruth had experienced in Boaz, in, in the best grain, the best safety, the best rest, is a lavish provision by a redeemer. A great grandchild or grandchild of Ruth, his name was David. And he would pin words in the Psalms. And he would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. He leads me beside still waters. He quiets me. He makes me rest in the best places. He would say of God, his Savior, even when times are difficult, you're with me as my protector. In fact, you allow me to have a dining table, a blessed feast in the presence of everyone who would hate me. I think he pondered as he wrote, how could there be any other outcome than goodness and mercy for all of my life? You see, church, that, those are the words of the Redeemer. And in Jesus Christ, later on, in the coming of Christ, in the lineage of David, in the lineage of Ruth, don't we see Jesus offer so much more to those who are in need?
Who did God make sure was invited to the birth? Shepherds, outcasts, unclean people. Who did Jesus in his ministry feed the hungry, the needy? And through him, you and I, he says to you, I will give abundant life, life to the fullest church in Christ Jesus. We see a reflection in Boaz, but there's so much more. The story of Jesus says, I am more than enough. And so if you are destitute, if you are left out, if you feel like you don't belong, if you feel like the place isn't been made for you, let me show you what grace is. The Redeemer cares for the destitute. But this is what he does. He doesn't leave you destitute. The Redeemer cares for the destitute, but he makes those who are unworthy, worthy. And he invites them into his household. Now, now that's different, isn't it? I, I want you to know, I, I, I keep up on the news. I've been reading lately and, and um, just what's going on in our country and get excited about certain uh, things that people are trying and looking at. Um, I, I believe that there is a, a, an idea that someone had that is rooted in compassion. I don't know that I would call it, in fact, I wouldn't call it compassion because I think there's better, but I believe it's rooted in compassion. I was reading a story a couple of weeks uh, ago, maybe, uh, about in New York City, um, they're, they're opening the nation's first supervised consumption for illegal drugs. Um, and, and, and there's compassionate reasons for all of those things. I, I really believe, uh, as they've studied, they said, we, we don't know what to do. And so let's just make a place for people to be supervised in their hurt, to be supervised in their struggle, to be supervised in their need, to be supervised in their want, to be loved while they're broken, to be, to be cared for as they embrace this, this, this harm to them. You see, that's what a compassionate person does, but a redeemer doesn't make a place for the unworthy to huddle up around the fire in the house Boaz doesn't just say to Ruth hey you're unworthy and you're left out you know what you just enjoy my fields a redeemer does more he makes her a part of the household he says you can leave behind that hurt I can restore that brokenness I can take away that pain I can heal that wound it is dramatic and beneficial and the change is everlasting. And Boaz gives us a glimpse in part of what Christ offers in full of a difference between making a place for people to endure their brokenness around love, which is the best the world can offer. And a redeemer who says, I will make you worthy. You see, Ruth was a Moabite. If you were to look in, in the book of Ruth, you would see seven times it says, says that. It would say, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. Listen, a, a Moabite, that was a derogatory term in, in the Jewish world. The, the Moabites, just a little backstory on that. Uh, when when um, Lot uh, was, was rescued and his daughters thought that all hope was lost, 
they thought the only way to perpetuate their family was through incest. And so uh, through a series of sinful things, both of these children were, these young ladies um, seduced their father. It's, a, it's not a good story. And that story started with one child named Moab who became the father of the Moabites. And so every Jew, every uh, people of God would have stuck their chin up and said, I want nothing to do with you, you child of sin. You know what? You are lesser people. I get you're connected to us. I get that you're, you're, you've got some shared lineage with us. But every time they say Ruth's name, she is a Moabite. Because the Lord wanted us to know that there was a stigma that this woman had that made her on the outside. Chapter 4, verse 5, but God. The Bible says this, then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from Naomi, you'll acquire Ruth the Moabite and the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate her name, the name of the dead in inheritance. Then the redeemer said, this is another person, I won't redeem it for myself, but I'll impair my own inheritance. You can take the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot. Verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance and the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers from the gate of his native place you are witnesses to this day you see here's what happened Ruth was on the outside Naomi said to her I want you to go and let Boaz know that if he was he was willing that your desire is he that that he redeem you and so she goes and, and she walks through that, that part of the story and Boaz says to her, here's the problem, I will redeem you if I can. But there's actually a relative closer to Naomi than me. And if we're going to do this, then it has to be done in a worthy way. It has to be done in the right way. God has to be honored. Life has to be restored. So Boaz goes and finds this closer redeemer and said, hey, would you like to buy the field? The redeemer's like, free field? Yes, I'm in. He said, oh, I mean, there's a family connected to it too. And, and the guy goes, just kidding. <laughs> that doesn't help me the same way. You see, he was willing to bring treasures into his house, but he wasn't willing to allow people to become a part of his story, of his household. But Boaz, in the middle of all this, he redeems her. She's no longer a Moabite. Now she belongs. She's a part of the household. This stain, this stigma is completely erased by the grace and the kindness of Boaz. He redeemed her church. How many times have we seen Jesus say to the destitute, to the broken, not only do I love you, not only do I care for you, but you have a place with me. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who, who cheated people by his own word. When he meets Jesus, Jesus says, come be a part of my family. And Zacchaeus says, then I will leave behind and pay back everything I've stolen. A woman caught in adultery with men with stones all around her. Jesus says, who will throw the first rock? If you don't sin, go ahead. As everyone disappears and the woman looks up, what does Jesus say? Sin, you're safe. But go and sin no more. Be a part of this house. Be a part of this story. 
to a man who had lost his mind, whether it be through medical, psychological, spiritual, he was demon-possessed, we know. Hiding in the tombs, he smelled, no one liked him, he harassed those who came by, he attacked people, he was known to be an outcast. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. And the man says, let me be yours. And Jesus says, you are, but go and tell. Church, in Jesus Christ, we have a redeemer who doesn't create a safe place for sinners, but brings healing for every single person in his household. How much better. What Boaz did for one, Christ did for many. And when that baby, when Christ was laid in the manger, those thoughts going through Mary's mind, those thoughts going through Joseph's mind, those realities going through the shepherd's mind, that in Jesus Christ, we don't just have a Messiah who will make a safe place for us to huddle and endure the pain of our sin and our brokenness, for the rest of our life. But in Jesus Christ, we have a redeemer who calls us and makes us his, home, his own at his expense. What better Christmas present is there than knowing that not only Jesus cares for you, but you belong in him. See, the story doesn't stop there. It stops with the end with Naomi, you see, because as a redeemer, the redeemer ensures that life continues. I think in this moment, Naomi knew what was happening. When she heard the news that Boaz had redeemed Ruth, it wasn't just good on Ruth. It was a renewal of her family. She wanted to be called bitter, but the lady said, you will not be bitter. Verse 15, he shall be this child she is pregnant with. She shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. And she has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And when the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. The greatest king in Israel's past. And through which so many promises of the kingdom were made for the future. Naomi had thought all was lost. Naomi had thought her future was done for, that she just needed to figure out how to endure each day. But God had a better plan. And through Boaz, he didn't just make sure she had food on the table, but a broken, weary mother who had lost two of her children way too young whose story was all but dead. The Lord redeemed and impossibly made her in the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in the line of David. 
See, church, what Revelation tells us is that Jesus makes all things new, Revelations 21. And so the future that you and I have is not just God giving us a better life now. It's it's not just about God loving us. He does. It's, It's not just about God welcoming us into his household so that we have fellowship and friends in Christ. He does. But it's about our future too. What you think is destroyed, God is making new. That's what Christmas is all about. So the story of the birth of Jesus Christ begins this way. There once was a man from Judah who came from Bethlehem to redeem those who thought they didn't belong because of the sin and the brokenness and the futility of their life. And he came to write a new story. The beauty of the Christmas story is that he didn't just invite the outcasts, he invited the kings and the wise men. Any who would lay down what they brought church the invitation is ours today as well when we see that nativity will you see your redeemer let's pray father god lord i don't think boaz in his life ever thought of himself as anyone special but lord you caused his story to be woven in to this life-giving moment of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this Christmas, that the reality that you have redeemed us or that you offer redemption would bathe everything we got. It would bathe every action that we take, every thought that we have, every word that we speak. Lord, that that the reality that we have one who has come to care for us, to welcome us in, and to set a future before us that is more than we could fathom, Lord, that that truth would, would just wash over us and it would give new meaning and richer meaning to Christmas. Father, I pray this morning. That there, if, if there's any person, man or woman, boy or girl, here or watching that doesn't know what it's like to be lavished by one who is right with the creator, Lord, that you would allow your spirit to whisper the words of the redeemer to their heart. You are good. In Jesus' name.